0: was Boaz and Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi let me go to the field and gleam along the ears of grain after him and whose sight I shall find favor and she said to her go my daughter so she set out and went to gleaming in the field after the reapers and she happened to come upon the part of the land that belonged to Boaz who was the Who was in the clan of Elimelech? And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem, and he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, And the Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his young man who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? And the servants who was in charge of the reaper answered, She is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi. Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, Please let me gleam and gather along the sheaves after the reapers. So she came, and she was continued from early morning until now, except for short rest. Then Boaz said to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter. Do not gleam in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let the eyes be on the field that they are reaping, and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to them, Why have I found favor in your eyes, that you shall take notice of me, since I am a foreigner? But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been full told to me, and how you have left your father and mother in your native land to come to the people that you do not know before. The Lord... Repay you for what you have done, and in full reward be given to you from the Lord and God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Then she said, "I have found favor in your eyes, my lord, for you have commended me and spoken kindly to your servants, that I am not one of your servants." And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, "Come here and eat some bread, and dip your morsel in the wine." So she sat beside the reapers, and he passed her roasted grain, and she ate until she was satisfied, and she had some left over. When she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men, saying, Let her glean among the sheaves, and do not reproach her, and also pull out some from the bundles for her, and leave it for her to glean, and do not revoke her." So she gleaned the field until evening. Then she beat out what she had gleaned until it was about an effing of barley. And she took it up and went to the city. Her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She also brought out and gave her the food that she had left over after being satisfied. And her mother-in-law said to her, "'Where did you glean today, and where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice to you.'" So she told her mother-in-law that whom she had worked, and said, The man's name, who I worked today, was Boaz. And Naomi and her daughter-in-law said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed by the Lord, whose kindness has not forsaken the living nor the dead. Naomi also said to her, The man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. And Ruth the Moabite said, Besides, he said to me, You shall keep close to my young men until you have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that you... Go out with this, his young women, lest to another field you be assaulted. So she kept close to the young women of Boaz, limping till the end of the barley and wheat harvest, and she lived with her mother-in-law. This is the word of our Lord.
1: we will be in the book of Ruth this morning, uh, as Riley has read for us. Um, as, uh, as mentioned already, this uh, has been our fall retreat, which is a weekend in which our students um, stay. We stay within the county, but we stay in host homes around our county. Um, <clears throat> studying God's Word, doing some fun stuff together, and uh, really having a good time to build unity and uh, see how God wants to work in our lives. Um, this weekend, we, uh, our theme is called Design, and it was looking into Genesis 1, 27, that states that God created man and woman in His image. Um, while uh, both uh, male and female are created in the image of God, they are obviously uh, distinctly different. I don't need to spend loads of time up here explaining how men and women are different, but uh, all human beings, though uh, we're different in so many different ways, all human beings have intrinsic worth, have intrinsic value because uh, they are created in God's image, and God has ultimate value. This morning we're going to be looking at a passage from the Old Testament that does several things. Um, It does several things. One, it shows us what a godly man is like Uh, when we get to uh, Boaz. It shows us what a godly woman is like when we get to Ruth. But yet it also goes a step beyond a godly man and a godly woman. And we see that it shows us uh, the character of God in one word. And that word is redemption. Redemption. This sermon It's not going to be a typical sermon that's very systematized in three distinct points, but instead I want to take us on a journey through this book, this four-chapter book of Ruth, and we're going to stop along the way at various parts to to pull out some principles that are in God's Word, um, and they show us how God has designed us and created us to be. The The book of Ruth is all about redemption, and we love the idea of redemption. We love the idea... Of, of something being paid off. Maybe you've paid off a car, and the day that you, you sign that last check or you, you pay it, however it is you pay it, you, you love that feeling of knowing that something is paid off and that debt is no longer lingering over you. Or um, we like the idea of knowing that uh, we get a second chance we see seen things on TV all the time um, about people who maybe they're about to lose their home and, and someone steps in and, and saves them from losing their home, but they not only save them from losing their home, they also uh, say that they're going to restore it and make it even better than what it was before. We love those type of, of, of stories, and why is that? It's because we love so much the idea of wrongs being made right. Specifically, our wrongs being made right. We love the idea of second chances. Students, um, when you take a test and you fail it, which I'm sure none of you do, uh, you love the opportunity of taking another one because you want a second chance. But what happens whenever you take a test, you fail it, you take it a second time, you fail it, you take it a third time, and you fail it, you take it a fourth time, and you continue to fail It shows you that you don't need another chance. You need someone to come in and help you pass. You see, many of you may be sitting in here this morning and you messed up at something this week. Maybe last week, maybe this morning. Or there's something that you've done years ago and you just can't seem to shake it. Maybe perhaps um, you've blown it in some way and that stigma of what you've done follows you and either it's self-imposed or it's what people say about you, and what's happening is your failure. What, you have, uh, what you've missed the mark on is becoming your identity. And you're living with guilt because of what you've done. You're living with doubt because you don't know if God can still love you. And maybe you're living in fear because you are worried that what you've done will haunt you the rest of your life. Or maybe you're in here this morning, and you are still giving yourself over to sin or to a situation that you are allowing to control you. And in this passage this morning, we're going to see that God is extending to you the redemption so you can be set free from a life controlled by sin so that your life can be renewed and restored. And there's some of you sitting here this morning, and you are in a situation that you never thought you would be in, and it's not because of anything you've done wrong. You didn't bring this situation on yourself. But you're in a situation right now, and you wonder how you got there, and you wonder how you're going to get out of it. And you can't see past that current situation. You don't know what's going to happen, but you just hope that somehow God is still there. In this passage this morning, this is what makes this so incredible, is that there's hope for hopeless people, there's restoration for broken people, and there's a promised future for people who can't see past their current situation. So we pick up in the book of Ruth, the very first chapter, and we see that uh, the book of Ruth starts, if you read in chapter one, it says, in the time of the judges. So just so we know, this wasn't a time in Israel's history that you would have wanted to live. You wouldn't have wanted to live during this time, but it says in the book, uh, it says, in the time of the judges, there was a man named Elimelech. And Elimelech had a wife named Naomi, And Elimelech was from Bethlehem, but the problem was, is there was no food in Bethlehem. So, just like most men would do, Elimelech took his wife Naomi and their two sons, and they go to a place to try to find food. And when they go there, they find the the place called Moab, and they find food there. But by verse 3, it goes from even bad to worse. There was a famine, they leave their home, and now all of a sudden, in verse 3 of chapter 1, Scripture says that Elimelech dies. So not long into our story, uh, someone important is gone. What makes the Limelech so important? It's the fact that in this time period, um, the man of the family provided physical protection, financial security, and family stability. So with him gone, who's going to do that? The, pers- the people who are supposed to do that are Naomi's two sons. So they do. They find two Moabite women, they marry them, Ruth being one, and they marry them, But then it says, just a few verses later, that 10 years pass, and what happens to those two sons? They die. So now Naomi, who once lived in Bethlehem, she had moved to a foreign land because of famine, loses her husband, now loses her two sons, and now she's got two women to take care of. So this situation goes from not too good to all of a sudden really, really bad. So the stage is set in our story. Family protection, uh, financial security, and stability are gone, and Naomi is living in a foreign land as a single woman now with two other women to take care of. And if she goes back home, the people in Bethlehem are going to talk about her, gossip about her, and talk about how she's a failure. So the circumstances in her life aren't what she thought they would be. And you know what? It's causing her to be bitter. She actually says, she said, I want to change my name tomorrow which means bitter you see by this time she thought that she would have a nice house in the suburbs of Bethlehem and she would have a big family and she would have a 401k of 7,000 donkeys that was just going to be good for her retirement but that's not what she has as a matter of fact she has nothing zero she has nothing now she's got two women to take care to take care of and nothing to eat so because of her situation she believes God is against her She believes because of what she's going through, God is against her. She thinks her circumstances mean that God's hand is against her and God does not care for her. What we're going to realize in a moment is it's through her circumstances that God is able to sovereignly save her. See, maybe you've walked in here this morning and you think because of what you're going through, God no longer cares about you. You think because of the situation that you are in, God doesn't like you or God isn't necessarily there. But what we've got to realize is that we must make sure our circumstances don't inform our view of God, but rather God must inform the view of our circumstances. Our circumstances in our life doesn't mean God has changed. And we've got to know, remember, and believe that. So despite all of this, Naomi heads back to Bethlehem. The difference is when she left, she had a husband and two sons, and now she comes back with one daughter-in-law. One of her daughter-in-laws decided to stay in Moab, and Ruth said, no, I'm going to go with you wherever you go. So we pick up in chapter 2, and it's the beginning of the barley harvest. And we learn at the beginning of chapter 2 that Naomi has a relative from the family of her husband, and his name is Boaz. It says that Boaz is a worthy man. Verse 1 says that he is a worthy man, meaning a man of great character. This means a man who is strong, a man of valor, a man who has character, a man who is a godly man. The word worthy encompasses all of those traits. So this weekend, our our students had the opportunity to study uh, and look into biblical manhood and biblical womanhood. Our guys um, looked into biblical manhood from the book of Genesis when we looked at the life of Joseph. Joseph was a man who went through so much in his life and he remained faithful to God. And we came up with five characteristics of a godly man all of which are encapsulated in the in the word that describes Boaz as worthy the five characteristics we taught our guys this weekend are this a godly man is faithful to God in here if you desire to be a godly man your number 1 loyalty is God a godly man is faithful to God following Christ this is his number one objective the second one is this a godly man runs from temptation The godly man can't be passive towards sin. We can't look at sin and say, ah, like I just won't deal with that. No, we've got to run from temptation. Third, a godly man is humble. He thinks of himself less and others more. Fourth one is a godly man is a servant leader. He leads, but not for his own advantage. He leads others for their advantage. And the fifth one is a godly man has integrity. He's the same always, and everywhere. A godly man doesn't change by who those around him are. A godly man is the same always. Boaz was a man known for being the person that God had created and designed him to be. And as we'll see later, he was actually fulfilling his part in the redemptive plan that God had designed him for. See, man, these five characteristics are not just things we're to do, they're things that we're to become. If these, are, these are wrapped up in the identity of someone who is a godly Man. So Boaz, who's a worthy man, uh, he has a field. And the, 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 chapter 2 says that Ruth happens upon that field. And when we would say happen, we uh, if we're talking to somebody, we would put it in quotes, we would say Ruth happened upon that field. Because so what does that mean? Uh, in, in the original language, this was written in such a way that when you read this and it says that Ruth happened upon the field of Boaz, it causes you, it's like a movie that's very suspenseful, it causes you to kind of sit up and say, oh, hang on a second, what do you mean? She happened upon the field of Boaz. No, she didn't just, uh, um, just by way of coincidence, walk up onto Boaz's field. Let me explain how fields worked back then. You didn't have this large field and it had a sign that said the field of Boaz and it had a sign that said the field of so-and-so. No, you had this one huge field this area that was massive, and different people owned different parts of that field. So scripture is trying to tell us that she didn't just, uh, in coincidence, walk up onto the part of field that belonged to Boaz. No, God providentially was working throughout this entire situation. Naomi left because of a famine. Naomi lost her family. Naomi then gained a daughter-in-law who just happens to come back to the field of the one person who can protect and provide for them. That's not happenstance. You may be sitting in here this morning and you've just heard a bad diagnosis this week. You've heard bad news. You've news from a family member that kind of blindsided you and you never thought you would hear it. Maybe it's news about your job that you never anticipated. Or maybe you're suffering from emotional pain from something that someone has caused you And you're wondering why this is happening. Listen, I I can't tell you this morning that everything's going to just be all right. I can't tell you that everything in your situation, no matter how dire, is just going to work out well and it's going to be easy and great. No, but I can tell you this, that there is a sovereign God in control of your situation who promises to be with you despite what you face and will never leave you. Ruth is in a field reaping in the field of Boaz, and she happens upon that place, not in a coincidental way, but because God providentially was working. And Ruth, who promises to take care of her mother-in-law, Naomi, goes to find food for them. So Boaz does a lot of any of us would do. You see somebody new on your property, you want to find out who they are. So Boaz goes and finds out who is this woman. And when he does, he... He tells her that, hey, you can, you can stay in my field as long as you want, take as much as you need, and then some, and take it back and take care of your, your mother-in-law, Naomi. So Boaz treats her with undeserved kindness. She goes back to Naomi with food to spare from what she had gained in the field. And then when Ruth tells Naomi that she met a man named Boaz, Naomi recognizes the name and realizes that he is a relative. But not just a relative, She uses the word that Boaz is a redeemer. You see, uh, in this time, there was something called leveret marriage, and this means that if a woman's husband died, it was the duty, not the obligation, but the duty of the closest relative of the deceased husband to marry the widow and take care of her. The term was called kinsman redeemer. He would buy the land, and he would restore it. Many times, these women who lost their husband would be uh, 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 sold into slavery. And then it was the the duty of that man to not only buy the land and restore it, but then go to the auction block, buy her back, and restore her and set her free. But see, the kinsman redeemer could only fulfill his role if he was a blood relative, if he could pay the price, he had enough funds to pay it, and if he was willing to redeem those three things had to be in place for the kinsman redeemer to do his job. So Naomi hears this name and realizes, hey, he is a relative of my deceased husband, Elimelech. So that gives Naomi some hope. So in chapter three, we, we get to the scene where uh, Naomi just wants to, she's got a plan. She's like, alright, we, we've, we've got to make this work out. We've got to make sure that this happens. She, t- she tells Ruth to make herself look pretty. That's essentially what she says. She says, don't no longer wear your widow's clothes, but I want you to anoint yourself, you know, put on some makeup, make sure you, know, you look you look good. I want you to do all this stuff that you've got to do to make yourself look pretty. And I want you to go do something. And what she tells her to do, I'll explain. She, she says, Ruth, I want you to go down to the threshing floor tonight. That's a place that they would get the grain ready. And I want you to go down to the threshing floor. And then I want you to, to when Boaz, when he, uh, when, he, when he eats and he comes back and he falls asleep, I want you to go lay at his feet. And I want you to uncover his feet. All right? So that's what Ruth does. Ruth follows through with the plan. She goes down to the, thres- the threshing floor. She, uh, she finds Boaz, and he's asleep, and she uncovers his feet. Well, Boaz, about midnight, uh, wakes up, and like most of us do when you wake up, and, and, and you, know, you went to bed, and it's warm, and you wake up, and now you're cold. You're kind of startled, and you look to, to pull some cover. Well, Boaz didn't just look to pull some cover. Boaz realized there was a woman laying at his feet. So that startled him, and he kind of he sits up, and he's like, what is going on? And he realizes that it's Ruth. And he knows that Ruth has been loyal to Naomi, and he knows Ruth from where she had gleaned in his field. So Ruth looks at him and says, Boaz, I think you are our Redeemer. Boaz, I think he'd already heard a little bit about this. And Boaz says, Yeah, I think so. And Boaz is amazed at, her, at Ruth's loyalty to Naomi. Because, see, Ruth was still a young woman. She could have she left Naomi and said, I'm going to go find my own life, I'm going to go do whatever I need to do. But she remained loyal to Naomi. so. Boaz calls her a worthy woman. Says, you are a worthy woman because of your faithfulness. I will redeem you. Now, the word worthy that is used to describe Boaz is similar to the word worthy used to describe Naomi, excuse me, Ruth. But the word worthy is also the word that we find in Proverbs thirty-one ten that talks about a woman of excellent character a woman of noble character. So these are the four traits that we looked at for our girls this past weekend. Our girls studied Proverbs uh, 31, 10 through 31 to see what the traits of a godly woman are, and we summed them up in four traits. A godly woman is priceless. There's no value you can put on a woman who follows God. Secondly, a godly woman is trustworthy. She's trustworthy. Uh, what she does can be trusted. What she says can be trusted. Third, a godly woman is responsible. She's responsible with her words, with her uh, decisions. She seeks godly advice. And the fourth is a godly woman cares more for inner beauty than she does appearance. See, this is Ruth. This is what describes Ruth, a woman who pledged her allegiance to Naomi and the God of Naomi. So as we jump back into the story, we realize that Boaz is a uh, he wants to then redeem Ruth, but he goes and finds that there's a problem the very next day. Just like in most movies, you think everything's going to turn out well and it's halfway through and you know the movie's only halfway done, so something bad's got to happen, and that's what happens right here. And you realize there's a, there's a little problem. Boaz can't redeem Ruth. Boaz can't be the one to protect and provide because there's another relative who is actually a closer relative than, than Boaz. So, But he wants to take care of Naomi and Ruth, so he goes and finds that guy, and he strikes up a deal. And he says, hey, I want you to meet me at the city gate with the elders of the city, and we're going we're gonna to come up with a, with a plan. So he does. He goes, and he tells the closer relative, he says, hey, um, you do realize you're the, you're the relative of, the closest relative of Naomi, and he's like, okay, that's, that's cool. And he likes that idea, the, the, the closer relative. We don't know his name. He likes that idea because that means he's, he can gain some new land. But what? Boaz, I think, intentionally does is he builds all this stuff up and tells him what he's going to get. But then he says, hey, but if if you redeem the land, you also have to take Ruth, this Moabite woman. And see, that wasn't necessarily something you wanted to take on because a Moabite was from the family of Lot who had, uh, at, at a time, whenever Lot had no wife and Lot's daughters had no husbands, the daughters talked Lot into sleeping with them and they had children. And those children became known as Moabites. So to be called a Moabite wasn't something that was really something to be proud of. But Ruth, all throughout this book, is called a Moabite. So what does Boaz do? He talks up the situation. You'll be able to gain the land. You'll be able to get all this stuff. But you've got to take this Moabite woman with you. And that guy backs out. He says, "I, I don't want to be part of the deal. So Boaz then is able to become the Redeemer. And they go through this custom of taking off your sandal and handing it to the other guy. And I'm glad today we just shake hands because I don't want when we go through a transaction to grab your shoe and you grab mine. So what happens is they go through this transaction and Ruth and Boaz become married. Naomi's family is restored. And Ruth and Boaz have a son who has a son who has a son and that son is King David, the greatest king in all of Israel's history. And the greatest king in all of Israel's history came through the line of a Moabite woman and an unsuspecting man named Boaz. You see, this story is all about how out of tragedy comes triumph. Out of hopelessness comes victory, and out of barrenness comes blessedness. The tragedy at the beginning was followed by an act of loyalty from Ruth, that's now matched by an even greater act of loyalty from Boaz, who restores Naomi's family. Here's the deal. We could close that book and say, that's a, that's a neat story. That's cool. I'm glad that worked out for Ruth and Naomi, but I'm still in the situation that I'm in. What this is so, what's so great about this Old Testament book is that it was only a foretaste of the ultimate act of kindness shown through the gospel. You see, in the gospel, the tragedy is that because of our sinfulness, we aren't just barren. Ephesians 2 says because of our sinfulness, we are spiritually dead. Unlike Ruth, who was loyal to Naomi, and Boaz noticed that we were the furthest thing from loyal to God. Instead, we chose loyalty to sin, but like Boaz, Jesus remained loyal to his father, loving toward us to the point of becoming our redeemer and dying on a cross, forgiving our sin, and then rest, restoring our soul through his resurrection. You see, we find ourselves in the story. We, we're, we're in this story, but we would like to think that we're Boaz, we're kind, we're, we're good, we're, we're good-hearted, but no, we're, we're Ruth. We're a foreigner whose past is broken, who has nothing to offer Boaz, but just hopes that he is willing to help her. That's where we find ourselves. Like Boaz, Jesus became a blood relative, becoming human, being born in the flesh. Like Boaz, Jesus could pay the debt, but he didn't do so by some funny transaction. He paid our sin debt by giving over his perfect, sinless life. Like Boaz, Jesus was willing to be the Redeemer, so much so that he would voluntarily and sacrificially give himself to be crucified. But unlike Boaz, who could only redeem Naomi and Ruth, Jesus' death and resurrection is for all people, an invitation extended to everyone who will come and receive salvation. You see, there are some of you in here this morning hurting, broken, maybe you're remaining in sin, and you're just waiting, waiting for something new. Waiting for someone to rescue you. Listen, Jesus has already done it and done for you what you couldn't do for yourself and that's make a spiritually dead person spiritually alive. You see, there are some of you in here who you've committed sin and and it just stays with you. This sin just haunts you and stays with you. And Jesus has taken your sin upon himself on the cross. And Colossians 2 says that he has canceled your record of debt, meaning that if Jesus no longer holds your record of debt against you, you should not hold it against yourself. This is redemption. This is the gospel. A few years ago, I remember seeing a story, a guy by the name of Mark Richt, if you follow college football, you know who he is He is the head football coach of the Miami Hurricanes, but for years he was the head football coach of uh, the Georgia Bulldogs. And Mark Richt and his wife were, were Christians, and they, they had two, two children, and they felt compelled to adopt. They, they knew God was calling them to adopt, so they were, they, uh, were shown a picture of a, of a girl in Ukraine named Anya. And Anya was, was a girl who had been given up by her parents to be left for dead because she had a facial deformity. There's something wrong with her face. her parents didn't want the stigma of having to deal with that, so they just left her out in the cold to die. Thankfully, she was found by people who ran an orphanage, an orphanage, and Mark and his wife decided they wanted to adopt her, so they, they took off, flew all the way to Ukraine and took a girl who had been left for dead and begin the adoption process. Meanwhile, while they were there, Mark and his wife discover a boy named Zach, whose parents didn't want him either, and he was in the same orphanage, and they had left him in a drawer, just shut it, and left home, hoping that he would simply die. And while Mark and his wife are there, they decide that God is calling them to adopt Zach as well. So Mark Richt, who successful football coach, could do anything he wanted to do, decided that he wanted to adopt these kids who had been left for dead, who had no hope, who their parents had given them up. They had nothing to offer Mark. Mark was actually going to have to fork out loads of money to begin to pay for for surgeries for Anya, but he wanted to do that for her, so he paid for the adoption, he paid for the surgeries, and he adopted those two kids despite them being able to give him nothing in return. Now Anya and Zach go from nameless, left for dead, to calling Mark Rick father. You see, that's the same in the gospel. You and I are spiritually dead because of our sin. And, the, and a man named Jesus comes in, just like Boaz did, and shows undeserved kindness to you and me, despite nothing we can offer God in return. We can't uh, make God love us. We can't earn god's love no instead god shows it because of the love he has for us so i ask you this this morning have you embraced the gift that god has extended you in the gospel have you embraced it have you received christ have you received the gift of salvation knowing that i'm a sinner and there's nothing i could do to earn god's love but god despite what i've done decided to love me and would love me enough to give up himself so that i could be forgiven the greatest story in all of history, no story will ever match this one, that someone can be spiritually dead and they can trust in Christ and they become spiritually alive to have eternal life in heaven with God forever. No story can match that. Maybe you sit in here this morning and you're in Christ, but you have forgotten that God has undeservedly given you his grace and kindness and you are are, are a Christian, but you live maybe every single day or certain days thinking that you've got to do something for God to continue loving you. You didn't do anything to earn God's love, and you can't do anything to keep God's love. Live understanding that God has shown me kindness. And then for us who, who are followers of Christ, we've got to realize that the same kindness that God has shown to us, unmerited, unearned, the way that people come to faith, the way that people see the church function is that we love people the same way God has loved us. As God has been to me, so I will also be to others. That's what God has called us to do. So I want to ask you this morning, if you would bow your head, I'm going to pray for us. But before I I pray, I, I just want to say, if you're in here this morning, and you're not a follower of Christ, in a moment after, after we're done, uh, some of our pastoral staff will be down here and we would love to speak with you about following Christ, about trusting in Jesus. We'll be down front. There'll be uh, three of us down front if you would like to come talk to us about believing this gospel, about trusting in Christ and having your sin forgiven. Father, thank you for caring for us so much. Despite our sinfulness, despite our lack of loyalty to you, God, you decided to show your love and kindness to us through giving your son, Jesus. Lord, there's nothing we could do to ever repay you. So Lord, may our lives reflect that same glorious grace that you have extended to us. May our lives reflect that to others. Lord, I pray for someone in here, Lord, multiple people in here who who may not know you. Lord, that they would come to faith knowing that they deserve nothing but you can offer them eternal life. You can offer them hope. You offer them a future. And you forgive every wrong they've ever done. Lord, we're grateful for your love. We're grateful for your kindness. May we live treating others as you have have treated us. In Jesus' name, amen.